Hey, Sugars. Welcome to A New Dear Maddie this week. I hope everything's going well. We really want to send our prayers and our thoughts out for, man, all those people out on the East Coast that are experiencing Hurricane Florence right now. We are, I'm sending you love and light and, and just hopefully that everyone's safe. And if you're luckily have gotten away from that, I hope that your home and your community is, is somewhat the way you left it when you come back. Um, so be, I know America will be thinking of you all weekend. This episode, uh, it, we're going to go deep this episode, I have to say. So we're talking a lot about sexual trauma and things like that with my guest, Nate Postalweight. So that's a triggering thing, just a heads up. You might want to know that. Um, his story's really, it's really awesome how, uh, and we didn't even really get into it fully. I think we could have spent several hours kind of really delving to what, uh, there's a lot of trauma in his life. And so this this episode also is a lot about just how to deal with trauma uh, and also how to potentially look at trauma in a way of um, using it to p- propel you into growth instead of just kind of avoiding it. So anyway, um, I apologize. It's not my best sound episode. He's in Croatia right now. I'm in Los Angeles. You know, we could talk on the moon, but you'd think they'd have a better better way to record a phone call. But I did the best I could, Sugars, and I, I think you can still understand most of it. At least want to listen to it. Okay, enjoy a new Dear Maddie with Nate Postaway. All right. Well, woo, hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Maddie Show. This is Matt Marr. This is an international show that... Um, I don't know. I feel very international, Nate. Hey, everybody. We have a special show today. I think that, um, uh, you know, uh, trigger warning. I feel like my guest Nate and I, we're going to be talking about um, things that can involve. Um, I'm a, I, don't, I don't even know fully his story yet, but I just want to say some things that can involve trauma, uh, sexual abuse. Just, I just want to put that out for anybody that, um, that this conversation could go there or it could not. Nate, it could not. So, everybody, my guest today, Nate Postaway. Nate, thank you for being here. Oh, Matt, so happy. Really, really honored. Um, now, tell everybody what we met through. I always, I never remember this, Nate. I forget how I meet people. I believe, though, we met through Rick Clemens, right? We met through Rick Clemens. I uh, did my podcast with him, I think, the week after you were on. And I think I laughed the entire time listening to him call you the white okra, and you guys were just filthy and inappropriate and wonderful. And I was like, wow, I've got to reach out to this guy. And then that's what I reached out to you. Well, I think I'm going to play that back when my mother says, Matthew, you shouldn't be so disgusting. Um, (laughs) I'll be like, hey, Mom, I'm getting people on my show now. So, Nate, tell everybody, you you have your own... Because I was reading it this morning and yesterday. You have a really fucking good blog. Um, and you also have a podcast. So tell everybody. And it's called The Other Side of Saved, right? Right. So, yeah, yeah tell I, everybody about I've that. Been, yeah, I've been wanting to work on this project for a long time. The basis of the beginning is explaining. I grew up in a small town in Alabama. And the most important thing in the culture that I grew up in was being saved. And that means... Um, I have a very astute religion, and I will be going to heaven when I die. I'm saved, therefore I can look at the 
brush them roll through this lens of knowing this is how I operate and this is how I move. And in that religious culture and just uh, the particular home that I grew up in, there's a lot of dysfunction and trauma that took place. And so, um, and I do want to say for people just to, to interject. Because I've met some people out in California, and I was like, oh, did us a saved. And they're like, what do you mean saved? So, I mean, my meaning, I grew up with that, too, because we're two Southern boys here. Um, we bring in the Southern show. I should be drink. I'm drinking coffee because it's 7 a.m. here, and I know you're in Croatia, and it's 4 p.m., but we should be drinking sweet tea, Nate. <laughs> we or what we call sometimes sugar water. Oh yeah, just sugar, sugar water. Sugar water, but uh, for people saved, basically, is people that it, I, I guess the terminology would be they're saved from their sins and eternal damnation because they accept Jesus Christ into their heart as their Savior. Correct? Would you say that? Yep, that's that's how I introduce saved. That's how it's introduced to me, and it's really, but it, it's also I think what really is it's also a title. You, you, I grew up where we would literally mm. ask, "Are they saved?" If we were discussing someone else's behavior, outlook, response to something, the question was, are they saved? And it, it really, that one small word just has such a punch when it comes to that religious culture. Man, you said that and I felt that because I remember people, it was almost used as like a judgment or almost like a status thing. Whereas, you know. There's like some people in LA would say, well, do they have Instagram followers? And I really, that sounds ridiculous, but it really kind of is the same in the South of, uh, are they saved? Are they, uh, can I trust them? Can I talk to them? It, because yeah, because I feel like some people, you might use it as, well, I'm just asking if they're saved because I care about their soul. But I think a lot of that though comes from people, um, it's not about that. It's like, um, uh, like a club thing, or I don't, I'm sure you talk about more about this in your show. Yeah, it, I think too. It, my experience is that the more someone says, "Are they saved?" What they're asking is, "Are they like me?" So that I don't have to think about anything else. Mm-hmm. It's this very um, homogenous mindset of there's one way to live out religion and faith, and this is it. So are, do they identify the same way that I identify? Mm-hmm. Because God forbid I'm forced to view anything else outside of what I know. Mm. So yeah, so you definitely grew up, um, and so you grew up in Alabama, and you you were talking that earlier that, so not only was there a uh, kind of trauma going on you said in your family but also you were kind of I feel like probably then you were at which I can relate to this at a very early age kind of wrestling with the idea of religion and sin and what that was for you I was I was extremely sensitive and just an empath for sure but at just a level of really confused about any kind of self-worth that could be identified in me based on what I was learning and being taught about Christianity. And we grew up um, Southern Baptist. I have no idea if the Southern Baptist route is still very similar to what it was then, but it was very staunch. Um, it was very stern. And there, there were, you know, really, and I've talked about this in the very first blog, there were very specific topics like 
um, abortion, um, adultery, homosexuality, those primarily are just, in their mind, the most easily judged. It's really bizarre that those those tend to be the, the primary topics that religion in the South tends to target and say, well, God forbid, these are just the worst. Well, I think that still goes on because, I mean, that's what's going in our, you know, political culture today. So, I mean, uh-huh. you know, with the, especially with Kavanaugh being a Supreme Court judge, my, I have a lot of female friends that are very worried about um, their right to choose what happens to their body now. Right. So, yeah, right. for sure. And the, I would say the culture that I grew up in was the oppression was so severe that even that conversation would have never existed. It was, um, to say conservative is an understatement. Well, at the, um, at the bare minimum. No, I definitely feel, I mean, um, Oklahoma is definitely one of the most conservative states right now, too. Yeah. So I get that yeah. kind of conversation, and I don't know if... I sometimes try to have conversations, and look... You know, if we're listening and you disagree with us, that's fine. We're talking about our experience, and so we're not saying what you believe is right or wrong. We're just saying that this is how we interpret it. And so, you know, as somebody that I do believe in women's right to choose, um, if I try to have that conversation sometimes with friends um, back home, some of them don't even get a fit. It's almost like I say, well, you know, the, the sky is yellow. And they look at me like, huh? What? Like, why would you even talk about the sky being yellow? Like, no one even questions this. Like, so what is, why are you even having this conversation? You know what I mean? It's not even that they're upset. They're literally like, nobody talks about that. Why are you talking about abortion in that way? Well, man, I think it goes back to that same thing. People are asking questions about others to say, are they like me? There's not curiosity about where someone else is coming from or someone else's perception. One of, I think one of the, it's been very painful to see what our country has gone through the last couple of years, the amount of hate, the disrespect, uh, the unnecessary trauma caused to so many people. However, I feel like people are having conversations and getting educated like never before. I did not know a lot about politics until the last couple of years and I have made it a mission of mine to get as educated as possible, as quickly as possible. I agree with that. I'm not think really political. I don't, I mean, I follow, but I was like, I don't want to know. And now I'm like, well, God damn it. I got to know now. Yeah. I, I've got to like yeah. be a fucking adult and contribute to my society. So I do. Um, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of like so I'm listening to this little handsome Alabama boy talk about being in uh, Alabama, and now you're in Croatia, which, by the way, everybody, go to Nate's site, theothersideofsaved.com, because A, it's his blog and his podcast, but also, Nate, you are really handsome. <laughs> I went on the website, I was like, damn, and I'm not into white guys, but I'm like, this man is cute. <laughs> Great man, I appreciate it. And I'm very single, so send as much traffic my way as you can. <laughs> How are you single? I don't understand. 
Y'all, I don't, I got pissed because I'm reading, and you're going to hear about that 40 was a big thing for him. And I was like, this bitch is 40? Damn. He was a good skin cream. <laughs> anyway. You know, it's been, it's been a heck of a journey. But I, I got to tell you, I am, obviously we can go through this whole trajectory. I just came out two years ago. And my closest friends often say, Nate, in pictures, your smile and your eyes look so much brighter than they did before you came out. There's a there's a mm. physical countenance that's different in the way in the way that you appear in, in pictures, and I see it. I'm able to look at that and see there's just a, a level of pain and anger and frustration that's gone. Um, so I, I appreciate that, that compliment, though. Well, so I can relate to that. Uh, you know, in I can relate to growing up in a very kind of religious uh, atmosphere, and then when you're, because I don't know if people under, you know, for people that are not gay or queer identified or something in that way, when you grow up in your, and maybe they do feel this way. I don't know. I haven't talked to a lot of heterosexual people about this, but I feel like they understand sin and things like that. But when you grow up gay in that environment, like, and I remember this. I remember having a point in my life, in my young life, like as, I mean, as a little kid, even before I was 10 years old, thinking no matter what I did in my life, I could be the President of the United States, I can win a Nobel Peace Prize, I could be a priest at the Vatican, but no matter what I did, I was going to go to hell and be in hell for eternal damnation. That was kind of my reality, and I used to have anxiety about that because I I knew well that's where I'm going because I knew that I was gay. Was there? Did you have that type of similar like knowing at a young age and then having the stress on top of it? I think my denial was different. I think that how old were you when you had that experience? You know, I knew. And I didn't even say the word gay then, but I knew at like 8, 9, 10, I knew that I was different. And I think I couldn't, I physically couldn't uh, mentally say it to myself. But like, that's when I like, this funny story by, you know, Burt Reynolds just passed away. And I remember being like 8 years old. And um, my mother, Burt Reynolds was on the first Playgirl. And um, I remember, like, finding that. And it's so interesting because, uh, and that was, I was, like, seeing, just going through all of that play and just being completely like, oh, my God, what is, they didn't even show dick then. That was, like, Playgirl, the first one, it was just like a Cosmo. I mean, literally, there was, like, uh, but I remember, like, I wanted to see that because I'd seen, like, I'd seen, like, women's magazines like dirty you know seen like with women and stuff but this was totally different but anyway my mother put on her Facebook or something like I remember buying that Playgirl because it was supposed to be a commemorative issue and saving that and then finding out that it got all torn up because Brian had shown it to his friends and I just put on my mom's uh, Facebook uh, well, uh, under comment I was like uh, mom that was me <laughs> wrong son not the straight one it was the gay one but, um, so for me, though, I, that's when I really started, um, oh, wow. And then in eighth grade was when I was like, okay, I want to, I want to, I want to suck a dick. That's when I kind of like had that more, I knew that, but still at like 10. So what, so what was it like for you? I would say that you 
your ability to think through that is just much more mature than mine. I, the denial is so strong. When I was taught about homosexuality at a very young age, it was just extreme. I was taught that there was a there was a moment where there were words put around the definition of homosexuality that included pedophile. Uh, at the time, the the term was uh, mentally unstable, mentally retarded. There were these things that I heard at a very young age that I think hijacked my ability to ever even consider that as an option, and so I didn't. Mm. Um, it was very clear to me as a child that I was gay, but knowing what I knew, I was determined to do whatever I could to never allow the pedophile part of me, the mentally unstable part of me to ever come to the surface. And so as early as I can remember, I became another person to perform and just make sure that that did not come about. So I never had that moment until much, much later in life. But I, I think that people are sometimes surprised by how long it took me, but it was just kind of the perfect storm of other circumstances that happened after that where once you know the whole story, it's like, well, you know, what, what decision would this person make otherwise when you're being told in, in an environment where it just simply was not an option, period. Mm-hmm. I, I somehow knew that. I knew the extremes that were around me. And the, the survivor in me just became a different person and helps me navigate all of that. But, but yeah, coming out or even acknowledging it just wasn't an option. Mm. So it sounds like things were very so. So what was it like for you growing up with your family, like with your mom or your, did you grow up with mom and dad or kind of what was your, was there a lot of trauma happening as a kid or? Yeah, you know, there was, um, I have a very large family. Um, I'm the youngest of many kids. I try to only tell my story just to be respectful of any journey that my siblings or, or my parents are on. I've, I've long been removed um, from my family just based on decisions that I've made for myself that was in, you know, my best interest. But, yeah, it, it, um, there was definitely a lot of a lot of abuse. I talk about that in the blog. There was a lot of physical abuse. There was the amount of sexual abuse is just abnormal. It doesn't make sense when you look back and see how could there have been that many angles and that many people uh, to sexually abuse a child? And I think that at the time I was part of a very enmeshed culture where people were trusted who shouldn't have been trusted um, with my innocence, with my time, with uh, my attention. And they caused great harm. And, And one of those, I would say, one of the biggest turning points in my life was being 12 years old and being uh, sexually abused by a um, pedophile who was in his late 30s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, I think that people just don't understand, that confirmed to me the confusion between what I had learned about homosexuality and what had just happened. It confirmed that horrible message that I received early on. It, yeah, it further yeah. separated me from saying, yeah, I'm never going to identify as being gay. This is, this is sick. And it's it's so it's such a prevalent thought in the culture when 
I mean, statistically, it's proven and again and again, like most pedophiles are actually usually heterosexual white men. Um, but like some overwhelmingly, like 90%. But I think too, why it's such a thing in, and just from talking to clients and study, but I think, you know, look, even at a young age, I think for most kids, it's even, it's not even if they, like, I was super flamboyant kid and obsessed with Wonder Woman. I mean, I was shitting glitter when I was five years old. I was gay, 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 gay. But, you know, like, my boyfriend, my partner, he was, not a lot of kids are, but there still is, like, I do believe in, you know, I believe in energetic things and with the way we just, we just, a lot of people just, whether you're straight or gay, you just know. Like my cousin Kelly, she said, I knew when you were two years old. She said, and that's why, she's very Christian, but she said, that's why I also believe this is not something you could have ever chosen in your life because I know you. And so, um, and God literally made you that way to love. And so, but I feel that this is true though, a lot about, you know, for pedophiles, it's not about sexuality, it's about power. And, um, that's something that pedophiles can prey on is they know, well, if I abuse this child that is gay, well, that's another secret I can use to keep them to shut up, to keep them quiet and to have power over them. And it's so, when you look at it that way, I think, I, I hope, I try to explain to some people because they'll think, well, that's why a kid became gay is because they were abused when they were younger or something like that. When in actuality, it's the, the I think the opposite is that, you know, sometimes that kid is get abused because they were seen in a, like just with anybody who is abused, often a, a, a pedophile is a master at seeing, at seeing cracks kind of in people's lives where they can kind of swoop in and have power over them. And whether it's, you know, because we don't say, because I, I feel like that's, People almost feel like, well, it was not deserved, or it, I don't know that happens. And I think in the South, some and I'm like, well, we don't do that with women. We don't do that with young girls and say, well, she was, you know, she got in the car. We would never say that about a young. And so I think right. it's like changing our ideology. Um, but I totally, and I grew up though that with that too. That someone, oh well, he's gay, and people say, well, he probably was abused as a kid, because that's what people would just assume. That those were correlated. So I can imagine when that happens to you, then it's like a deeper, another level of, you already are having shame about your sexuality, but now you're feeling like you have another shame that, well, because of this. Definitely. And I think, too, I think what people don't understand is we've got this unbelievable Me Too movement going on, which I cannot tell you how much I love, love, seeing this stuff come to life there's something that goes off physically inside of my chest every time someone makes a bold or powerful statement on their rehab did you see uh, did you see Kesha singing uh, praying at the Grammys earlier this year I did see that I also I hide it she wasn't sexually assaulted but because you're southern Linda Bloodworth Thomason just yesterday wrote a piece about Les Moonves from CBS and she yeah. wasn't sexually assaulted, but she was discriminated against being a woman. And just her, I mean, it's like Julia Sugarbaker read a speech, and it is fucking glorious. <laughs> and the lights went out in Georgia. The lights went out in Georgia. The, the Kesha singing, 
that song, I, I replayed that over and over and over and just, oh man, I just felt like, do people know what she's saying? She's saying no thanks to the harm that was taught to her at her weakest, most vulnerable moments. She's saying no thanks no longer. Well, I believe that I did something to cause this harm. She is clearly removing assault to her body and her mind and what was done to her soul. I, I, I think that even as we begin to talk about sexual abuse, there's, there's no one talking about uh, male sexual abuse in our country from, from a perspective of being a child and going through these, these processes. And what I learned was that you could not convince me it was not my fault. I believed that I caused this man to do this stuff to me at 12 and 13 years old. He knew the words to say. He knew the storyline to put in my mind to make me believe I am causing this pleasure in him. Therefore, I am shameful and I'm a horrible person. I can't believe I've done this. And the reality now, as a 41-year-old, and he's almost 70, I look at the situation now and I think that sick bastard saw a very wounded and lonely boy miles away. You're an easy target. Any adult could, se could sense that there was a lot of heartbreak in your world at that point. Being gay had nothing to do with that abuse, period. And I was gay long before that abuse happened. And I think I love the statements you made about pedophilia is about power. It had, pedophilia is not a sexuality. It's not a type of sexuality. It's a hateful, evil crime that someone commits on someone else. Your sexuality has nothing to do with that. Oh, agreed. And I think it's used, too, for um, so many men that identify heterosexual. We've seen a lot of this with, with what's been happening in the Catholic Church and just from men that I've talked to. They, there's so much shame, and as it's just a heterosexual man, male talking about being abused, period, by a man or a woman, but when being abused by a man, because then they just, because some people do assume, they just think, well, if I talk about this, people are going to think that I'm gay. And, right. and which is such another fucked up kind of layer for men that they have to deal with that's so unfair and nothing about that you know because you know I remember once you know and that is and I, I'll never forget this man saying this but I, I don't know if it was like Oprah where I saw it or but it was a straight man who was abused by a man but he talked about he remembered he said that he remembers praying to his body not to react and he felt as if his body betrayed him because when you are a 12, 13, 14 year, 15 year old boy, I mean, good Lord, a breeze could blow and you could get, I don't like to say the word aroused because that sounds like you're into, but you know what I'm, like it just show and like touch yeah. is touch. And so that's not something you, he said, it's not something I ever wanted. It's not something I, I craved for, but I literally felt like he's, it really, for a lot of men can develop body dysmorphia because they can learn at a very early age to hate their body because they feel betrayed by it. And, and that's the, the thing that's so heartbreaking about that, when you think of someone who feels, feels like their body betrayed them, I think that sexuality is such a beautiful, powerful, amazing thing. Sexual abuse or sexual assault goes in and rearranges your soul 
and it does something so evil to something so sacred. And the the person on the other side, the offender, is strictly looking for a pleasure, power, thrill, to engage their own sickness. No regard to the moment you enter into this part of this person's life, they will never be the same. Life as they know it will never be the same yeah. from this moment forward. And I feel like there's not enough conversations to educate people like you were saying, like this, for someone to feel like, well, if I responded physically, if I, if, if I was aroused or erect by this situation, clearly I was enjoying it. Bullshit, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. When you're a young boy, like you said, truly a word is really thin it can't have an impact on your body. And at the end of the day, regardless of sexuality, there's so much hormones in your body at that point that I, I just don't know someone who's not going to respond. You also have a very fluid part of you that has nothing to do with sexuality but just love and affection. Yeah. And, and someone else can be taking something that's very beautiful that you're meant to respond to and sexualizing it by bringing sexual abuse to it. Also very sick and very wrong. And there's such harm. Agreed, agreed, agreed. So much. I love that. I love something that's so sacred. Because I love the way you phrase that. Well, how did you kind of jump with thinking of the other side of saved? And how did you? Obviously, you had a lot of trauma to get. And I know that you talk a lot about your blog. That you had a. You've had a lot of therapy, and um, that it's been very helpful for you. How did you kind of jump to this other side of now? You know. Uh, you know, coming out and overcoming, as you say, and 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 um, just kind of get really getting on the other side of this. How did how did you? Because I want to talk. We're going to get into a little bit about why how you moved from the U.S. and everything. But uh, kind of take me through the steps of how you ended up getting to be in a place to talk about this and to have a blog about this and a podcast about this, like. Like, girl, you overcame in a big way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'd say the first big movement, I was 18 years old. I was a missionary within the organization. And I started to have my first mental kind of meltdown, if you will. And I remember my roommate getting my dorm dad and saying, he's really upset me as I'm talking to, to Nate. And so he came and got me, and we went down to this classroom shooting and we took our classes. I was 18. This would have been in the fall of 1995. And I shared with him about the molestation that happened when I was 12. Again, at 18, I did not call it molestation. I felt like I had done that. I felt like I had been involved in this horrible thing. So at that point, his response is that when I repeat this, I always preface this by saying, I don't believe that this man meant harm. I believe he was wildly, wildly uneducated yeah. and didn't know um, what to say or what to do. This was way over his wheelhouse. And his response was, after me sharing the details of what had happened when I was 12, 13, his response was, you need to repent for being involved in homosexuality. And mm. let me tell you that. I mean, oh, I guess my app. You should repent. Ugh. 
Yeah, so, and, and I did. I, I, and, and as sick as that was, and as messed up as that was, it still gave me a sense of relief of like, this thing that happened is no longer a secret. I was willing to take the blame just to make some, some of the shame go away. That set me on a path of going down the conversion therapy route for many years. I had to go to Exodus conferences. Um, that was instructed by my parents at that time that this would be a part of my life and was going to support groups through. You're, you're familiar with Exodus International, right? Yeah. So we're so at 18. Did you so did you go through conversion therapy because you had experienced abuse by a man, or did you go through a conversion therapy because you also admitted to like your family or to that you were uh, that you were gay? That's the greatest injustice. I shared history of what had been done to me at 12 and 13, and for them, the response was, well, clearly you're gay. And so, Mm. at that time, it was an immediate response of, let's get this fixed and get it fixed right away. And that's when... I mean, every detail about Exodus International was presented to me, just like, you need to do this, this, and this. And I, what I, the, the language that I learned after that was, I'm struggling with homosexuality, with the understanding that when I have struggled enough and prayed enough and surrendered enough, God would eventually heal that homosexuality and I would become heterosexual. I, listen, when you say that to a 17, 18-year-old, with the foundation that I was standing on, I believed it. Not a little bit, but more. Fast forward to 13 years of conversion therapy. And the interesting part about my adult life, when I entered adulthood, I was able to compartmentalize my sexuality and I had it completely tucked away and was able to um, really move forward with a lot of success. That became kind of my new platform. Uh, I bought my first business at 20 years old. I sold it. Um, two years after that, made a great profit. Got a consulting job after that. And just always had success uh, as this mask that says everything here is great. Well, and if, if everything's perfect on the outside, then no one can see fault in me. Right. Right. And, and listen, man, I got to tell you the biggest deception outside of the sexuality and so many other things that were going on was the loneliness. I was so lonely and people and so lonely. Mm. You just, you feel this disconnect of knowing that you're not being your true self. And at that time, for all those years, my intent was to pray harder. Um, and, and it was in every type of therapy possible to undo this, this homosexuality. And, the, the next big shift and change that took place that truly was the best thing that could have ever happened. In 2009, I had a, I had a nervous breakdown. And it was a time where I was the vice president of a um, organization. I was living in Nashville. Again, on the outside, everything really looked good. And I think that I had gotten to a point where my brain my body and my soul and my sexuality and everything was at war. And man, I flatlined and physically my um, 
post-traumatic stress disorder was so mm. extreme that I, I completely quit working. I hid, I shut the blinds in my home, um, and I would have episodes of sleeping two hours a night and waking up to having dreams of abuse from when I was a kid and um, different encounters and different things that were just really unraveling in me. And at the time, I was seeing someone who considered themselves to be a Christian therapist. And through that whole process, this is a big, big part of the platform that I'm trying to build is just to make people aware. If you're wrestling with addiction or you're going through a divorce or you have tremendous heartache, prayer is great if that warms your heart. If you're looking for a result of healing to understand trauma and things that are going on in your brain, I don't believe that a pastor is ever equipped to deal with those things unless they're a licensed therapist and have a degree in psychology and a master's as a uh, marriage and family therapist. Like, there's still such a huge crowd of people who seek out these, quote, spiritual leaders for direction. And that caused me so much harm to be going to therapy where the person wasn't even a licensed therapist and it was still $200 an hour. Um, but I spent several years, but then the year of the nervous breakdown for about 10 months, which is going there week after week. And things were getting much worse. And I knew that they were getting worse. I found a treatment center myself and I signed up to go to this uh, outpatient program. And while I was there, all I can say is it gave me my life back. It burst that bubble that I had been living in for almost a year. It gave me room to exhale for the first time. And I was in the presence of people who were insanely educated and walking me through, helping me understand, hey, listen, religion, God, faith, this is completely separate from what we're talking about. What we're talking about is you've got boatloads of complex trauma and it's not being addressed. And that really helped me put framework around these years that I've lost where I've been trying to, even apologetically, trying to be someone else for everyone else. And that, that changed everything. And when I got, when I started getting the appropriate help, that was a clear mark in my lifeline that said, okay, I am now seeing progress. That started the process to where I am now. Um, of, of really, I started doing, have you heard of EMDR therapy? Yep. EMDR is fantastic. You're literally like the third person on my show in the last month to mention that. Isn't that crazy how those, those things happen? Um, I, I started EMDR in 2011. No, 2010 was my first EMDR session, December 2010. And I was, I was at the time, I had been recruited for a job in San Diego, and so I was flying back to Nashville because I had a support system there. And instead of doing like two hours every week, every week I would do eight to ten hours a day, three to four days in a row, because I was taking vacation time and I was surrounded by people that I knew and, and knew me. 
Um, I've done nine of those intensives. It changed my life. I cannot speak enough good about how EMDR addresses trauma. And what I always tell people is there is such a big difference between dysfunction and trauma. Dysfunction is something that you can take to a therapist and they put a framework around it and they give you a list and they challenge you and they give you exercises and that dysfunction dissipates. Trauma rules your life until it's dealt with at the root. We recreate these lives of, of reenacting our trauma over and over and over. So walking through the process of undoing the trauma was huge. And then my ninth intensive, um, I was, I had flown my EMDR therapist out to my home in Colorado. And we were going to work for four days. And on day two, I appeared in his little and just said, we need to talk. And at that time, that last session was really focused on my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it being undone and figuring out, like, how did this person become gay? And um, I just told him on day two, I, I had no intentions of coming out, but I just said, hey, I cannot go any further. We have dug so deep inside of me that I feel like if we keep going, we're going to start undoing the health that's been done. And he actually became emotional and said, I'm so proud of you for being able to speak up for yourself. And we sat for two hours and reflected on the last six years of all of the the EMPR work that I had done. And about a week later, I started to uh, recognize in myself this longing, this angst, all of these very familiar layers of anxiety come back, which had been going on for several months, and quietly by myself, on a Friday night, I started to have a conversation with myself that just said, the one thing you've never tried is being open and gay. You've had all of these secrets, you've had all of these details that, that most people don't know about, you have performed presented this great life without affection, without love, without intimacy. And, uh, and, and when you start to see that anxiety come back and you've had a nervous breakdown, you look at that and say, I'm not willing to go through that again. I'm not willing to see my body separated from my mind and my spirit and sexuality again. I'm just, I'm not willing. Mm-hmm. And I sat that night and there were two things that I just contemplated for hours. One was, you know you're gonna lose several relationships. And I did, and I, I, I could work through that that night. But the second one was, if you do this, you're gonna have so much anger and so much grief for being taught to fight the wrong battle all these years. And that both proved true. <laughs> I did lose a lot of those relationships and I did have to go through and still going through a lot of grieving over the loss of my 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. And looking and being able to say like, what I've presented to the world has been a facade on some levels. Everybody who knows me knows that I'm a very sincere person. I'm a deeply, deeply caring person. 
I've never had the chance to explore my sexuality in a healthy way. I've never, you know, never had any of those opportunities, and there's just been such a, a level of loneliness. That is what launched me into wanting to share the story. I think since I've come out, it's been just over two years, the freedom in my body, the freedom in my faith, um, all, all, everything has improved. Everything has gotten better. Um, I didn't know that it was possible to feel this comfortable in your own skin. And last year was this moment where I, I have been in the real estate industry for 13 years, and last year was, it was epic. I mean, my career really took off last year, and I was the number one broker for a, a very high-end brokerage there in Denver, and life was just out of control. And I started just weighing all these different things and saying, okay, where is this going? Now that you've come out and you have all this freedom, your greatest passion is reaching people who are hurting. You've got a story to tell. You've got history that can genuinely help other people who don't know where to go with their pain. So what are you gonna do with your, with your life? So about a year ago, I uh, started this whole um, process. I only talked to one friend about it. Instead of saying, do you think I'm crazy? Do you think I'm crazy? And he's like, hell no. I think that this is what you're meant to do with your life. And really started to outline along the blog. And as I went through the whole process, I thought, I really want to do this while I'm able to give myself a break from having always been a, a workaholic, having always... Um, been chasing success. So through the course of the last year, I sold my loft. I sold my car. Um, I sat with my assistant earlier this year. We came up with this whole exit strategy where I'd be leaving in May, uh, leaving work in May, and she would stay on for a couple more months and wrap things up. And then August 25th, I boarded a plane, and I'm currently in my first stop in Croatia. And I've got a year-long uh, itinerary of just traveling all over the world, um, five different continents so far that I'm planning on going to the next year. But just to give myself some space from the intensity of what I just left and exploring the world and exploring this part of me that I hope can help other people heal and just giving me the room to, to write very, very freely and openly um, and kind of just build this, this platform. Mm. What I love about that, I mean, that's when I, because it was Rick Clemens, you know, that we met. And Rick Clemens has, for listeners who haven't listened to that show, because he talks about his story. He has a very wonderful coming out story as well. But that's why he was like, girl, you got to hear this girl's story because it is a story. And it, it is. And what I... <clears throat> so then I think that, you know, I, I, I've, I feel like this, you know, I've read that, you know, that a lot of gay people go through this kind of... It's called developmental lag. But, you know, it's kind of a delayed adolescence. And, um, you know, people have even said like, oh, I love being around like gay men. It's because they're like... they. 
do things that young people do. But I think for anyone, when you experience trauma as a child, often your childhood is taken away in some, in some respects or even all respects. And so yeah. I love that you're, because I feel like you're coming back to this, this, this idea of, of being free to just play and experience life. And I truly mean play in like the the spiritual metaphorical sense, but also just the play of just experiencing new things and people. And because it really goes back to how we love is what defines our existence in this world. And no matter what you love, whether it's money, people, your dog, your cat, whatever, uh, your Instagram, I don't know your life, but however you love defines you so whenever that's the thing I don't know some people get about sexuality is that whenever you are denying how you love you're literally denying the seed of your soul and so when for you to accept this now is you're literally accepting the seed of your soul how you love and therefore it influences how you love everything and how you interact with everything and I think it just gives you again, like this, like you said, a morning your twenties and thirties, and now, kind of like being able to, hopefully, give some love to that kind of that childhood that you couldn't have and experience that now. Absolutely, and, and I think that this is this is my reset button to say I, I truly I don't ever want to go back to working the kind of hours that I've worked. Um, it's just it's unnecessary. But I think to to figure out what it looks like to go through this year and write authentically about the process of the grief and the anger, the confusion of coming out, um, but also expressing myself in the most honest way that I know how while giving myself the freedom, like you said, to go play, to go laugh as much as possible, to not have to set my alarm, to be be late all the time, like, you know, whatever, um, that, that has really been an incredible experience so far. I'm still, I'm on week three of this year long journey of travel and my body is just so much more relaxed than it's ever been before. I get my eyes uh, closed by themselves all the time because I'm so relaxed mm-hmm. and I've, I've never had that, that experience, which is really recognized like I needed this reset button so that I can launch myself forward as a go-to person to help all this, these issues that we're, we're not talking about. And the, the travel also gives me, like you said, it does give me some of that life back where it's like, look, I haven't traveled a lot, but I'll be damned if I'm not making up for one year. Yeah. I'll be interested to speak to you after all this is done and maybe have another conversation and just kind of see what's what's shifted for you and just kind of your experience that would be interesting since we since you're kind of at the beginning of it now yeah um and girl croatian men are hot damn um they're so hot (laughs) (laughs) i've got a spring visiting right now that came in town and we walk along the beach and i was like when you look at the asses and the speedos like have you seen such like my, my tenure profile says right now, um, just came out a couple years ago. Biggest mystery for me is how does every gay man have a six pack? Like, holy shit. 
and here it's yeah. I know. They're sculptors, man. They're sculptures. Boy, I'm like, I can't ever get that six pack thing down. I think, I don't know if that'll be for me, but you know, um, out in LA, it's like I always say, the dogs have six packs out here. <laughs> they do. So, um, so we're gonna get in chatting man a little bit, but I just want to tell little people about. So obviously you're talking about your own story through your blog and you're talking about your travels on the other side of Saved. And um, you also talk about, I feel like that's a whole other show we can get into just because you're still able to have a relationship with religion. Um, I know you've mentioned where, you know, like a lot of gay people, which is fine, a lot of gay people don't. They kind of are on the other side. Their other side of Saved is not dealing with religion at all. And so, um, like, but that's a whole other show. But uh, I just—it's fascinating how you're like really have um, beautiful. It's beautiful actually how you're able to just um, really—it's um, just beautiful to see the difference in someone's life of when you look at things through fear and then how they're able to turn that and they're able to look at everything through love. And because I think that's kind of the essence how people choose to live. People either live—I feel like they are living in fear or they are living in love. And you can't do either, yeah. and it's a black and white thing. Um, so anyway, it's just it really is beautiful and moving to see that. And I think for people listening too, whether even if it's not about sexuality or gay or, or even, even abuse, I think we all though can relate to. Um, I think we all as adults, you know, I'm 39, I'm 40s hitting me in March, and I have to say, like, I get it now. I get it now. Why? Because you talked yeah. about this on your website. It was kind of like 40 hitting you. And I get it now. Why? Because even I, um, you know, yesterday was 15 years that I've lived in Los Angeles. And so there's some things that I've done, but there's a lot of things that I haven't done. And it was the, it's interesting that you talk about like grieving my 20s and 30s because it killed me a little bit because I was driving and I was stopped at a light and I saw this girl and she was just in her 20s and she was working out and she was just young and beautiful. And it was the first time in my life that I felt that tinge of like jealousy of, not even jealousy, but of sadness that, oh, I'm not going to get that back. And I did feel like some things are wa- were wasted in my life. And I know that everybody, I bring that up because I know everybody feels that in some way. And I think that's such an important thing you talk about. I think we all need, instead of wishing, kind of having this moment of grieving and saying, yeah, that's sad. I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. But look what I'm, do- look what I'm able to do now. And kind of grieving that and moving on so you can live the life that you want to live. Yeah, and Matt, to me, like, I love that you're, when you say grieving and moving on, I feel like people don't want to move towards the grief at all. Yeah. So they stay on the same cycle. The grief does not bring anything back. It doesn't. And, and when people have made comments to me about, oh, you didn't lose their years, God's going to do this, God's going to do that. I'm like, listen, I don't know what planet you're on, but I was 20, 20 years ago, and it's gone, and I know that pain. For me to be healthy today... I have to grieve over what is lost. Yeah. And that is what keeps me very centered to make today really matter. Yeah. It's not skipping it. It's not, it's not coming up with a fairy tale that something else is going to happen that makes up for it. That's not how grief works. Grief is, is, is acknowledging what I'm letting go of 
is a loss that will not return. Yes. Yes, one, one million, 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 million percent. So, um, yes. it, it's just, yeah, one million percent. Um, Nate, I want to meet you in person. Come back, come if you ever come to LA or I'll come wherever you settle. I just want to like, girls can have a glass of tea or wine or whatever you want and just chat. I think, um, I'll call Rick Clemens. The three of us will get together. We'll have like a girls weekend. That would be amazing. That would be incredible. I was back in Southern California right before I left for this trip to see some friends out there. And, you know, I have I don't have a plan B after this. So who knows where I'll end up. But I thoroughly enjoyed being back in San Diego. I lived out there for three years and thought this would not be a terrible place. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where I end up because right now, clearly, I have absolutely no plans. This feels good. Which is fantastic. It's okay not to have plans. Um, okay, so for everybody, uh, again, the blog is the other side of Saved, and the podcast as well. Um, I'll put all the show links to that in the um, in the episode. You've done like how many episodes have you do you have up now? Uh, I just posted. So when the podcast first came out, I had six. And I just posted number seven yesterday. So seven episodes. That's great. Yeah, I've got seven episodes. I'm trying to post uh, a new blog and podcast every week right now. I'm going through the trajectory starting next week of a lot of views and trying to catch up. I can't wait to write current day about the coming out process and the travel. Well, and also, too, if you go to Nate's website, you can... uh, there's an email newsletter. You can sign up for that so you can get updates on that as well, sugars. Um, and again, that's the other side of saved.com. And again, that'll all be in the show notes. Go look at Nate's handsome face and read his stuff. Um, because also, too, I just, I, again, I think that, um, and if you're listening to this and there's something that's scary to this about you or you, you feel like, oh, um, uh, I don't know if it just kind of uh, gives you anxiety. It might be, again, it kind of might be, if you feel safe, it might be, this could be a safe way to maybe explore that because maybe you're dealing with some of your own stuff as well. So, um, and I'm sure you're finding this, Nate. It's, it's uh, if you can't, if you can't read your, your own story right now, it's okay to read somebody else's story and relate to that. Yeah, that's very, very well said. That helps me a lot in my therapy years ago uh, to read different like memoirs from people who had been social workers or psychotherapists and how they were impacting and affected by other people and that helped me that I agree wholeheartedly um, if you're reading something the style that I've written is not it's not in your face it's not abrupt it's very soft and inviting um, and hopefully someone can invite the story in without it causing harm but truly just take it as an offering to anyone who can use it in a way to either get help or find further healing for themselves. Yeah, and pun intended, it's not preachy at all. So uh, it really is just your story. That's what I love. Um, well, let's yeah. let's jump in real quick, Sugar, to uh, Chatty Maddie questions. So Chatty okay. Maddie, number one, what is your most memorable childhood smell? Most memorable childhood smell was deep in the woods 
lighting a match and smoking my Cambridge food flavor cigarette that we just stole from the Winn-Dixie. Girl, that is a picture, Winn-Dixie. Yeah, like buy the carton. I was such an entrepreneur, I would steal them, buy the carton, and sell them at school. It's a shyster, man. Oh my gosh, you were a... Oh, you were... Oh, I would have had such a crush on you. I would have been so scared. <laughs> but I need to oh. be very clear. I need to be very clear that I moved from Cambridge to Marlboro. I totally upgraded. <laughs> and then I smoked for like 20 years and I'm still paying for it now. But I'm, I'm not a smoker now. Um, that is... That's such a... Sorry, that's, uh, that took me to a place. That's such a... Uh, <laughs> That's such a good description. I remember all that. Okay, Chatty Maddie number two. What would be the name of your memoir? The Entire Other Side of Saved. Yeah, I kind of feel like I was going to tell you that. I was like, if that's not your memoir, that's what it is, sugar. When you write that book, that's what it is. That's Because it's such yeah. a, a beautiful expression of what you've been through. Um, yeah. Okay, now I know you said this one could be a little tough for you. So... Uh, Chatty Maddie number three, what day could be your Groundhog Day? So what day was so great that you that you said, you know, I could live that day over and over? And I know you said you were struggling with this. You know, it was really, it's, it's a very simple day. But the night after my birthday, two years ago, I had friends in from town. And there was a Saturday that panned out where I was with a group of my friends. We had breakfast together. We ran errands, we did stuff all day. We had lunch together, we ran more errands. We ended up at a bar that evening and then we capped the movie, the evening off with a movie. And by the end of the night, I was just like, wow, I really made that 14 hours count. And it just was rich and it was wonderful. So that would be my groundhog, just repeating days like that. Oh, that, I love that, making those days count. That's a good way to express that. Um, I love that. Yeah. All right, chatting number four. What is the best piece of advice that you wished you'd taken earlier in life? That I am loved and that I'm okay. That sounds so simple, what you said, but for anybody listening to this, because know that you are, you are loved and you are going to be okay. Yeah. That is such, at the again, that, that, that goes back to... I think kind of at the seat of our soul and humanity, we just want to feel love and we just want to know that we're okay. Right. Um, right. Okay, and Chatty Manny number five, when are you most inspired? So, when I moved to California, I was learning what my hobbies were for the first time in my life. And I was in my early 30s and I found that reading and writing are two things I cannot live without. So next week, I fly into Frankfurt, Germany, and then by train, I'm going to Cologne and then up to Amsterdam. The thought of being there with my laptop and my books and writing and reading and listening to music alone is the most wonderful thought, and I can't stop thinking about that. Uh, definitely inspired by total quiet and just really being with yourself and being fully satisfied. Love that. Love that. And then being able to offer something from that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, that's, yeah. It's definitely, uh, it's, you know, it's, um, we, 
I, I it's, we're getting better at it, but we live in such a, a society that pressures extrovert, uh, you know, people being extroverts. And um, I love that, you know, it really is that it's cliche. It's all that, but it is true. And if you're hearing that again for today, maybe you need to hear it again of this whole idea of of kind of going within to like just and sitting with ourselves and. Being able to, I love what I love about that too is that you've talked to me about your story of feeling so lonely and so isolated, and I think it's so beautiful now that you're able because once we accept our, once we accept and not only accept but love ourselves for who we really are, often we can actually sit with ourselves and and actually love being with ourselves and not feel lonely. Right. And I think that's such a beautiful thing that you probably didn't think that at 20 years old that you would be ever able to do never and it comes it comes from a long journey of not ever having had a childhood I don't even know loving it and recognizing what a gift it is yeah it's a gift it's a gift it's a gift um oh Nate Postal wait I love this I love this I love this this has been great it, I when I heard you on Rick's podcast, I was like, I've got to, I have to connect with this guy. I was laughing so hard, and he kept calling you the white Oprah. Well, um, loved it. It was great. Sugar, I'm telling you, a year from now, we probably need to have two podcasts. We need to have one about how, we need to have maybe one about the self-help one where we talk about how all this stuff changed your life, and then, girl, we could have an after dark where we just talk about that international D you're going to get. Woo! Those <laughs> eyes and that hair, girl, get ready. Get ready. I don't know if you're going to come back single. You, get you're ready. You're hoping. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's um, great. Well... Nate Postalway, thank you so much for being on the show. For everybody else listening, uh, you can go to uh, theothersideofsaved.com. Uh, you can all, or you can just click on the show links if you're listening to the podcast, and or on the website there'll be the links as well. And you can um, a really great thing you can do that really helps podcasters when they're starting out. I always talk about it on this show, but especially for Nate, if you listen to his show and you really enjoy his show, leave a review of that. Go on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you're listening to this. Give it five stars and actually write just a sentence or two because that helps share his show with other people. Um, It helps bump kind of up in the iTunes ratings where they possibly will share the show. And it also gives, you know, as a podcaster, we put something out into the ether hoping someone listens to it. And it truly makes our day when we hear that someone was moved or hell even if you tell me you're angry about something I said at least I know people are listening so really do that for Nate and help him out on that way and I know that that would be a huge help that's awesome Matt thank you so much I can't I can't thank you enough for that that really helps a lot of course of course so and uh, and Nate passed away so off to Austria Amsterdam I'm excited we're gonna catch up in a year sugar and find out where you are I can't wait to hear that sounds amazing. All right. For everybody else, I'll see you next week. Uh, do something for yourself this week. And I'll, I love you all. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. So, Sugar, that's the show. Now, you know, 
You know, I love you. That's all I really want to say. I don't have much to say this outro. I hope that your September is shaping up good. I'm getting real ready. You know, I love a good fall, so I'm ready, ready for some October to come and get those pumpkins out. And it was just exciting that I think, um, I know the New Year's in January, but I really feel like for most of us, September is a year where we feel like restart and refresh. And I know that I'm going through that personally right now. And um, I know, especially since what I read last week at the beginning in the outro of last week's episode, and I appreciate the feedback for that. So keep going. Keep knowing that there's other people that are restarting as well. So if you don't exactly know where to restart, just know that sometimes you don't need to know where or what to restart. It's just the point of making a commitment to restart. All right, sugars. All right. I love you. Be sure to leave a uh, review of the show if you haven't. It really helps us out. iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you leave iTunes reviews. You can just go scroll down on those show notes. You can also go to Nate's website. Just it's in the show notes. You can go to the other side of saved.com. Listen to his podcast. Read his blog. It's a really thoughtful, beautiful blog. You can check all that out. And lastly, um, share this show, Sugars, if it if you were affected by it. It meant a lot to you. I appreciate if you share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you do all that stuff. All right? I love you, and I appreciate y'all, and I'll see you next week. Bye.